Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Mentioned oh, a week or so ago that we're in a, a new subsection of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that deals with the, the gathering of the local church. So if we're really from chapters 11 through 14, there are different things having to do with the body as it gathers. And a very large chunk of it has to do with spiritual gifts. And that starts with this beginning of chapter 12, and it goes through chapter 14, uh, talking about the, the role, the function of spiritual gifts within the body, in particular with the gathering of the local church. I want to give you a, a rough outline for how these chapters unfold, because it's really one big idea, and I encourage you, if you have a chance this week, to, to read through these chapters in one sitting so you can see how all the way through chapters 12, 13, and 14 develop this theme of spiritual gifts in the gathering. But to, to kind of help you to, to see where we're going with it, uh, today we'll look at verse 11 verses of chapter 12 that have to do with the source of the gifts, being sourced in the Spirit. Uh, verses 12 to 31 of chapter 12 have to do with the diversity of gifts in the unity of the body, listing off various gifts and the way they function in one body. Then in chapter 13, there's a chapter that's not just dropped in so that you have something to read at a wedding, right? It's, it's in the context of gifts, but it's this rich chapter on love, and we see that the necessity of love in the use of the gifts, that the gifts should be exercised in love, and if they're not, then it's a distorted use of spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 14, it gets back specifically to gifts. It talks about the priority of prophecy over speaking in tongues. There's a lot of questions perhaps people might have there. Uh, chapter 14, verses 26 to 40, talks about the need for order in worship. Along the way, as we walk through these, we'll deal with some common questions you might have. Questions like, you know, how do I know what, what my gifts are? What's the difference between natural abilities, acquired skills, and spiritual gifts? Are the lists that we see of these gifts in Scripture, are they exhaustive or are they illustrative? In other words, are, are, are the only gifts the ones that are listed off here? Or are these just examples? And there could be other ones as well. Are all the gifts still active today, or have some of them ceased? That's a pretty loaded question, and we'll take one Sunday in particular to try to answer that one. So there's a lot to discuss here, but, but I want to give you maybe a, an analogy here at the very beginning, and I've used it in some other contexts. So you may have heard this before, to, to help us consider why this is an important topic. Uh, somebody compared the, the church uh, not to a not to a cruise ship, like you'd go on on vacation, but to, a, but to a battleship. And you think about that analogy. What's the difference between a, a cruise ship on the ocean and a battleship? They're both big. They both have a lot of people on them. What's the difference? Well, a battleship, everyone there is, is mobilized towards a goal, towards an objective. And they're all on task with that at different times. There's there's diversity there, diversity of responsibilities, of skills, of, of training, different roles that are, that are being filled, but it's all serving this goal and everybody's engaged. Uh, versus a, a cruise, you might go on for vacation, and with a cruise there's some paid people that are, that are like that's their job, they're doing that, but everybody else is just kind of like along for the ride, right? Hoping not to get sick, and they're just kind of there, right? 
and it's pleasurable, it's enjoyable, but, but not everybody's mobilized in the same way. And, and the church is more like, it's like a battleship. where Everybody's mobilized, they're functioning, they're serving in different ways. And, and as we look at these spiritual gifts then, we can see various ways in which people equipped by the Spirit can, can function in the body and be part of the one mission that we should all be engaged on. Well, I want to read now uh, in chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. We'll look at this in uh, three parts, and then some, some application. And, and the first part, before he even gets in really to the to the gifting, besides introducing that that's the topic they're going to talk about, he actually talks about the, the saving work of the Spirit. He introduces the topic in a way that we've already seen several times and will continue to. Five times in the book of 1 Corinthians, he introduces a topic this way by saying, now concerning, and then he addresses what it is. And if you've been here when we've talked about that in other occasions of this, he's they're responding to particular questions that they've written him about. That's likely what he's doing here. They, they wrote him a question about spiritual gifts, and he's, he's responding to that. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of it, and he speaks to it. But then in verses 2 and 3, he, he seems to kind of give a little parenthesis about the work of the Spirit. And it almost seems out of place, because he's not talking about the gifting yet. He's talking about the saving work of the Spirit he talks about their prior spiritual life. He says, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. We've already addressed the topic of idol worship several times in here because it was prominent in Corinthian culture. And he says, that's who you were. But the spirit at work in your life confessed Jesus as Lord. And he says, nobody can do that apart from the Holy Spirit. He looks then at the, the saving work that the Spirit does. Somebody can certainly mouth the words, Jesus is Lord, without truly being a follower of Christ. But the point here is that to, to say it, to mean it, to understand it, to confess it as a true reality cannot be done apart from the work of the Spirit. And, and so I want to do a bit of a kind of an excursus on this point before we get to the gifts. And, and as I wrap up this point, hopefully you'll see why. 
we see the Spirit at work anytime somebody comes to saving faith, doing a number of things. I'm just going to give you three, but this list could certainly be longer. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin. We would not know, we would not understand, we would not grieve over sin apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in that way. In John chapter 16, verses, verse 8, Jesus talking about the work of the Spirit says, He, as the Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the things the Spirit does is, is bring conviction so that we see our sin as, as serious, as rebellion against our Creator, as not a minor issue, not a small issue, but a, but a big one that we need rescued from. That, that work can be resisted. Um, Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 51, talks about some people who were resisting. Uh, they're, they're told to be always resisting the work of the Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, and yet for the one who comes to saving faith, this, this work of bringing conviction is crucial. We see our great need. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. That's another thing that Jesus said would be a key work of the Spirit. In John 15, verse 26, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, he will testify about me. He will testify. The Holy Spirit's job, one of the key roles is to, to point to Jesus. He does that through the inspired word, as he inspired the, the writers, the authors of Scripture to, to write it. He, he, he does it as he makes sense of Scripture when we read it. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do so. Does that in our, our inner working by, by directing us to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin so that we see our need. He testifies about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit regenerates that conversion. The Holy Spirit regenerates Meaning he gives, he gives new life. And it's the work of the Spirit that, that is described as responsible for this. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, promising ahead to this new covenant, it says one of the things that will happen. It says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And, and this, is, this is fulfilled in the coming of the spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it, it describes the work of the spirit in this way. So when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not our own goodness, not that we've earned it, not that we're worthy, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, this giving new life and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He functionally does something in the heart of a person when they're converted. There, there's, a, there's a work of the Spirit and there's, there's some debate kind of internally within believers. Is this something that precedes conversion? The new heart comes and then we believe. Is it something that comes after we believe or instantaneously there? And there can be some debate there. And yet, I, I don't want to get caught up in that, but I want you to see that it is essential that the Spirit 
regenerates and gives new life. And that this is not just like a status that's given to the person. It's something internal that the Spirit does. So I want to compare that for a moment. Kind of, kind of bear with me as we dig into some theology here. Because I think it's important to understand this passage. Uh, when we talk about the work of, of justification. When a believer trusts in Christ and the righteousness of Jesus is credited, is given to that person, that's something that is a change in, in status. You're, 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 you go from being viewed as guilty to being viewed as, as righteous. This is what's in mind in Romans 4, verses 3 to 5. It says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So that righteousness, believer, when you trust in Christ, that is, that is instantaneously given to you. So that you are viewed as, treated as by God, as if you were just as righteous as Jesus. It's placed on you. It's, we would say it is Imputed is the technical term we'd use. It's credited. It's credited to you. And yet, you would wake up that morning and maybe still have a struggle with anger. Maybe some other thing. That sin is still there. It's present. But you're viewed as, credited as, as righteous. Now, the work of the Spirit here, when we're talking about the Spirit giving a new heart, regenerating you, that is something that is imparted to you. That is a real change that is occurring in your inner life that is immediate but still then carried out over time and built and grows. You're growing in so that you do, your, your heart is changing to love the Lord and, and not love sin and to want to obey. There's a change in heart that is real and functional. I'm going to give you two analogies that maybe will, will help explain this. Think about... Think about what happens when somebody becomes an American citizen. They've, they've moved here from somewhere else. They go through the process, and they, are, they become a citizen. There is a moment when that citizenship is, is credited to them, right? There's a ceremony they go. There, there's a moment where they go from not being a citizen to being a citizen, and that is it's instantaneous and fully effect. They're fully a citizen in that moment. That's it's imputed to them in a sense. It's credited to them. They're still the same person, but now they're a, a citizen. Think about that in comparison to a, a change that would occur over time as they develop a sense of patriotism and, and American values and cultural things that kind of come along with being an American. In, in a sense, it's, a, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's a rough parallel to this. When you're credited as righteous, there's a work in the spirit in your inner life, giving you a new heart, and over time, new desires that, that flesh that out. Here's another analogy. A um, guy I know that adopted a, a young woman. He and his wife adopted a young woman when she was an adult that their family had been caring for, sharing Christ with, ministering to, loving, came from a really rough, difficult background. And in her later 20s was befriended by this family. And they eventually ended up formally ad adopting her, bringing her into their family as a, as a child. There was a moment where that was immediate. She took their last name. 
She was in the well. She was their child. But there are a lot of things that were still kind of baggage from her past life, values of this new family life that took time to to integrate and to, to come alive in her, to imparted to her. Now, the, the problem with both of those analogies that doesn't quite capture this is when a person is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, there's a new heart that's given to them right away that's imparted. But it does take time to live out, and yet it certainly will be lived out. Now, what's the point of all of this in here in a chapter on spiritual gifts? I think it's showing that there's a needed work of the Spirit to where somebody, as it says in verse 3, can say, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. Not, not myself, I'm not Lord. Not these other gods that were around them. But Jesus himself, he is the true and living God and Lord of my life. And so before he even gets to the gifts of the Spirit, which is what they were arguing about. And as we read this, we can see there was kind of some boasting and pride and arguing. He says... You need to remember the most critical work of the Spirit is making you alive in salvation so that you are declaring that Jesus is Lord. So he goes through this saving work of the Spirit. Here's why this matters for us. You may be familiar that there's a lot of debate within evangelical Christian circles about the gifts of the Spirit. Which ones are still operative today? Which ones are? How should that show up? And it can overshadow, I think, sometimes this, what's almost a greater work of the Spirit in giving new life to somebody who is dead spiritually. And so before we get caught up in what are some important discussions, and I'm not trying to downplay them, we must agree on this saving work that the Spirit does so that we can cry out, ah, Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. So after that, though, we get now back to this, I think, discussion on the gifts and he describes the gifting work of the Spirit. The saving work, and now the, the gifting work that the Spirit does. Not only does the Spirit give new life, enabling us to confess Jesus as Lord, he graciously gives gifts to people that bless the body. Look again at verse 4. So now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Those two points there really are the points of this whole section through verse 11, and, and almost, you could say, all the way through chapter 12. Varieties of gifts, but, but one spirit. Varieties of gifts, many different gifts, but one spirit that is behind these gifts. Everything to come in this opening paragraph really revolves around those two points. He says it in several different ways. Look again at verse 5. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. There's parallel terms used throughout here of these gifts, ministries, effects. But also this parallel really focus on, I think, the triune God, the, the Spirit, the Lord, God who works all these things. So variety, diversity in the body, but, but one Spirit who is behind, one one God who is behind these. And they're given, it says, for the common good. Verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want to look at a 
a parallel passage in 1 Peter that describes this as well, this gifting work of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I'll read it, and then we'll go phrase by phrase. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, so, so walking through that, you might, you might see some similar phrases to what we just read. It says, as each one has received. So it says, if you're, if you're in Christ, you've trusted in Christ, that work of the Spirit, you've, you've believed you're saved, whether you know what it is or not, whether you can identify it, you're gifted in some way that can be employed to serve the body. Each one has received. It's something that God gives to us. It's a special gift, it says here. It's, it's from him, given to you. It's special. It's, it's unique in some ways. There's overlap. There's certain categories. There's ways it's going to be similar. But there's a particular way in which God has gifted you. And you are to employ it. You are to use it. Use it in a way that serves one another. The gifts aren't given just for ourselves. There's no gift in which you might have that is really kind of just self-focused, you know, that, that, that would just benefit you. It's, no, it's for serving one another as good stewards. It, if God has given it to you and you don't use it, you're, you're wasting it. You, you're, not, you're not being a good steward. You're not caring for something entrusted to you. Remember, a steward is one who uses something entrusted to him for the good of the one who gave it to him. In the sense of, in the way in which the one who gave it to him would want him to use it. So we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold can literally mean many-colored, various, variety. There's great variety in the people in the body, in the way they're gifted, and it's all from God by his initiative. It's just as he intended So I'm going to give you a a definition of spiritual gifts that may be helpful. Of course, it could be something we could tweak different aspects of it, but it may kind of give you something to to kind of hold on to here in this way. Spiritual gift, then, I'm going to argue, is an ability that is empowered or endowed by the Holy Spirit and used to minister to others. So this last part here, we've seen hopefully pretty clearly. It's to be used to minister to others. Ministry just means serve. It's it's to be used to serve others. It's not for your own sake, but it's for others. And I'm going to argue that it's something that's either empowered or endowed. Endowed meaning the Spirit gives it there, like at at conversion. It's a new thing. But it could also be something, I think, that's that's empowered, that he had placed within you, but was empowered and adjusted to be used to serve the body. And this gets to the question of, What's the difference between like natural abilities that somebody might have and acquired skills and gifts of the Spirit? Right? So think of kind of those three categories. Uh, there, there are things that you have in your life that are just natural abilities. There, there are aptitudes that you have, perhaps a, a born intelligence, musical skills that just came easy to you, just a heart and an ear for music. Uh, perhaps it's a strength with 
learning languages or hands-on stuff, mechanical things. And ever since you were little, your parents have just talked about how you could just figure things out. There's any number of things that might just be a, a natural ability. There's other things that you have that are acquired abilities. Learn skills. Learning how to cook. Learning to play an instrument. You know, going to college and developing skills with technology. Things like that. And, and then there's others that seem to be spiritual gifts. That were created or empowered by the Spirit and used to serve the church. And some of those are, are listed off here. Now, how do those overlap? Sometimes I think people get kind of caught up in, well, is this a gift? Is it a spiritual gift? Or is it just something that I was born with? Is it something I learned? And honestly, I don't, I don't think it makes a big difference. And what I mean is that we're to use everything we have to serve God and to serve others. And everything we have is ultimately from him. Right? He said earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that you did not receive? So if it's a natural ability that you're born with, who caused you to be born with that? If it's an ability, a skill that you acquired over time, who provided the opportunities for you to learn that, to be taught that? If it seems to be just a supernaturally given gift at conversion, where it was not present there, but there's just such a change in you're able to use this, you know, maybe, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's something else. Well, either way, we're to, we're to steward all of this to, to serve others. And so I think we can get too caught up in, you know, is it natural? Is it acquired? Is it a spiritual gift? The point is simply to use what God has given us. And often I think they do overlap. Think of, think of Paul, who is writing this on spiritual gifts. He seems to, you know, we see have a gift of, of teaching, of instructing, of thinking theologically there. Well, is that something that just came about at his conversion? Or was some of that cultivated as he was trained under one of the leading rabbis? Right? So he was learning and developing these critical reasoning skills. And then they seemed to be leveraged and used by the Spirit. Think of somebody maybe who has a natural gift for music. Well, they can just pick up instruments pretty quickly. But then over time, they take lessons and they grow in those skills. And they become a really particularly strong musician. And then they come to Christ and they use that to lead worship. Right? Now, worship leading is not listed in one of our spiritual gifts. And we'll, we'll talk later about, is that an exhaustive list? Or can that still be maybe a particular gift? But, but the point is, there are natural things developed and used. And I think it's good for us to think of them in those categories. The last section here in verses 8 to 11 then gets into this diversity of gifts distributed by one spirit. And there's a list of things here. And some of them may be immediately obvious what they mean. Some you might have questions on. We're actually not today going to get into the specifics of each one of these. Are they active today? Are they not? We will in coming times. This list is basically repeated near the end of chapter 12. We'll come back to it. But for now, I just want you to notice this emphasis on many and one. For to one, verse 8, is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, to another the, uh, to the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and, and on and on until we get to verse 11. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 
So these gifts are distributed by the Spirit as He wills, according to what He desires to equip the body. It's from Him. But there's a variety of them. Why does this need to be emphasized? Well, what do we know about the Corinthians? And if you've been with us these many months, we've seen it in many different ways. They had a tendency towards pride, toward division, towards the lack of love for one another. And so it's emphasizing, hey, these various gifts that maybe you guys are boasting in and dividing over, who, who gave them? The Spirit. What are they for? Serving one another. There's a variety of them, but it's just one Spirit that is behind these various gifts. So everyone in here, if you know Christ, you have certain spiritual gifts. You may be able to identify those pretty easily. You, you may kind of be wondering about what, what are those things. They often show up in the things that we're most passionate about. Somebody who has the gift of evangelism, maybe is particularly passionate about evangelism. One who has a gift of mercy, is particularly passionate maybe about showing mercy to others. Likewise, somebody with the gift of leadership or giving. They're, they're things they're passionate about, and they're all needed for the body to function. But what often happens is you're passionate about a particular thing, because God has gifted you in it, and you wonder, why isn't everybody else as passionate about it as I am? And rather than leveraging your gift to bless the body and encourage others along, you just kind of look with frustration. Like, why don't they share my same heart for, for this? And maybe they're looking at you and saying, why don't you share my same heart for, for this? And so instead of being something that is divinely given so that we can serve one another and be stronger as a body, they become points of conflict and contention. And so I think that's why there's emphasis here on variety, but the one spirit who is distributing these. Well, I want to wrap up, and we're going to do so a little bit quickly, because we have a special opportunity this morning to hear from uh, Randy on some ways the Lord's been at work in his life over this challenging year. And so I'm going to run through these closing things a little bit quick, so I want to make sure to give a good time for Randy on this. But these will be points we'll be able to develop more in coming weeks also. First point would just have to do with the very first things we saw in those couple verses. Recognize Jesus as Lord. Before thinking about how has the Lord gifted you, that's an irrelevant question if you have not bowed the knee to him as Lord and Savior. And it's a work of the Spirit that does that. And yet, there's a response that we are called to of, of confessing that he is Lord. Not, not me, myself, but, but him. He's the one that sits on the throne. He's the one that is fully God and died in my place. So notice the language in Romans 10, 9 to 10 on this. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now we've seen that we can't do that apart from the work of the Spirit, and yet he's calling us here, he says, to, to do that in response. We are to, we are to confess him as Lord. Not, not in a hidden way. Confess with your mouth just means being clear about that. You know, the God-given way for us to do that seems to be in, in baptism, as we declare publicly our allegiance and unity to Christ. That's not that baptism saves us any more than just saying these words out loud saves us. 
But it's this trust in him, turning from sin that he's convicted us on, trusting in him. That's what saves a person. And so the first thing is to recognize him as Lord. Second, use your gifts, your abilities, your skills for the common good of the body. You might wonder, how do I know what those things are? Consider what your passions are. These, things don't, these chapters don't give us a test, but it just says whatever they are, use them. So consider what your passions are and look for ways to just get involved and serve. Try things. See how it goes. Pay attention to what you're passionate about. Consider the natural and developed skills that you have. Look for ways to, to meet needs. If there's things that you notice in the body, you think, ah, I wish we were doing this. I wish we were doing that. It could be that that is a, an area of giftedness that is appropriate for you to, to consider how, rather than just being frustrated that it's not being done, look for ways to, to step in and help with that. So use your gifts. And then third, value the contributions of others in the body. The Lord has gifted them in a way that's likely different than you. And so what we're to do is to, to value that, recognize that, thank them for that, praise God for that, because he's the one who distributes according to how he desires. So I'm going to take a, a quick moment to pray. And while I'm doing that, Randy, why don't you, why don't you kind of make your way up here? Let's pray.